This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by osteoporosis. All over the nation, millions of people every day are breaking bones due to lack of bone density. Want to join in on the fun? Try osteoporosis. To get your 10% off, go to www.icanfeelmyface.com. That's it! <laughs> You're no longer allowed to record. That's it. Here's the, welcome to the show. Here's the show. I don't know. It just seems because <laughs> there's more than two sides to a puppet. No, there's. It's like it's only gonna lay in front. Hey, everybody! It's Grant and Jason. <laughs> we are just discussing uh, how we're gonna choose uh, between which of our topics uh, we do first. And Jason's suggestion was, oh, great, it'll be fine. Okay, we're we're literally not even thirty <laughs> seconds in, and you've already hit the mic, which I specifically told you to not do. I didn't hit the mic. Oliver hit the mic. We have a tiny little jester finger puppet uh, of questionable ethnicity or species. I always thought he was like a little snail or something. He has no shell. Yeah, well, he's a slug then. I guess. But we're gonna we're gonna flip Oliver in a little bit, and then he will decide for us which topic we dive into first. So but first. Oh. No, 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 no. Okay, Jason, okay. I'm not Sorry. playing the theme music yet. Jason's getting a little... He's jumping the gun. So... For this episode... That was a good pause, wasn't it? I was not sure if you were wanting me to say something else or not. For this episode, everybody, we're going to be testing out a new format. A new format, I hear in you say? Two. But we're only one episode in. And I'd be like, you're darn tootin'. But the episode that we did before was kind of a special one that we can only do once a year. But Grant and Jason, I wish you would only do one episode a year. That way I wouldn't have to keep listening to you. I'd say. Is there a gun to your head? Yep. Is any Who's making you listen to this? You are. You're maybe te- we are. You're terrible. Tr- yeah, maybe we. I don't actually, I don't really see us holding guns to people's heads to make them. Anyway, so we will be shifting the uh no okay no we're not shifting the focus of the show this will be the focus of the show now so our topics are albums music uh films also known as movies by the kids like video games and uh, books and so each episode we'll be reviewing two of those things uh and trying to keep the episode length at a slightly more manageable um duration and we hope that this works out please do give us feedback if you like this if you don't like it and we will routinely and systematically ignore all of it no i think we got a couple of good criticisms last week that we we did did act upon yes thank you connor hopefully the volume will be a little louder oh another thing we need we need to get this right we won't talk over each other as much jason that's your fault you were talking under me I always do. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, while I say this, well, I need to get this out of the way. Can you get that? We got a little porcelain Christmas tree with little cute lights on it. And since it's uh, January fourth, why don't we why don't we get that on the table? Get Jason. Okay. You can plug it in over here. There's like a trillion outlets. It's a studio. Um. So first off, apologies to Liam as well. Uh, we. 
made fun of you and said you're not going to listen to the show. We were wrong. Um, and also Jonathan and Randy, who we said we thought we were going to listen to the show with, you guys are fakers and dirt slugs. Didn't Johnny listen to it? Wait, no, Johnny did. Randy, you're a faker and a dirt slug. Jonathan, you're an all right dude. <sighs> I Now that that's all out of the way, I think we can move right along with our more... Uh, we're going to we're going to do something wildly experimental with this episode as well. We're going to play our theme music at the beginning as an introduction. Uh I know a lot of podcasts uh prefer to play it in the middle, but uh not us. We're revolutionary, and here's why. 1 2 1 2 3 Ready? Go. This tea is a little, <laughs> This tea is a little tepid. That is the definition of this show. (laughs) Tepid. Also, I think we need to change our Facebook description to be more descriptive. You do anything cool lately? No. I went out for a walk today. It was pretty windy. From where I'm sitting right now, my C.S. Lewis book on the shelf there looks like he's just staring at me in disapproval. C.S. Lewis is great. Everybody read C.S. Lewis. Okay. Avast, ye scurvy dogs. You're aboard the good ship, Brothership. Voyage 2. There goes the theme music machine. Yes, did you did you know there are actual machines for theme music? I didn't know that until we started this podcast, but it's an actual piece of equipment that I have to store and take care of that plays our theme music. We have to feed it? Yeah. And change the newspapers occasionally? Just have to feed it petroleum-based jelly. Just little drip drips of it. Okay, so uh, this is the part of the show where we take the bowl containing Jason's retainer off of the table and transfer it to my desk, and we take the finger puppet known as Oliver. I got burps just welling up inside me. Okay, face up a skeleton tree. F- face up will be the album review. Face down will be the film review. Ta-da! Here we go. I would prefer to do the album first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're doing the film first, okay. Jason, so heck you. Heck you and heck off. Goodbye, Oliver. Pew. Okay, so the the film that we will be reviewing is Embrace of the Serpent. Let me get my copy of it just for physical reference because we film these not. Okay, so Embrace of the Serpent is a film that came out in Canada where we're based. Uh... This uh, last past year, yeah. because we are now in 2017. So it came out in 2016. I was turned on to it by a uh, great film podcast that I listen to voraciously, Kermode Mayo's Film Review, two great guys of BBC. Go check them out. And uh, so I purchased it on Blu-ray without really having uh, much knowledge of it. And Jason and I sat together one night and watched it and uh safe to say it it's it was easily my film of the year for last year and i saw a decent amount of Mm. of the movies that were coming out not by any stretch enough to make this a definitive statement but it's definitive for you i think that it's it's one of the best movies i've seen in a long 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 time and it was one of the most 
unique and interesting movies I think you and I have seen in quite some time. Uh, so it's shot in black and white. And if my memory serves me from reading the Wikipedia page uh, half an hour ago, it's set in 1901 and 1941, I believe. And it it's the story of a shaman by the name of Karma Karte, uh, who is the last surviving member of his tribe. And he's approached in 1901. I have Karamakate. Yeah, Karamakate. Okay, sorry. Uh, he's approached, you know, 30 years apart by these two different white men uh, who need his guidance to find a certain sacred plant called Yakruna, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it follows these two parallel journeys to find the Yakruna and examines as it goes the differences that uh, have come upon the Amazon rainforest, the Amazon, the Amazonian rainforest over the 30 years of, um, of kind of the influx of the white man. And, uh, it is shot in black and white. That's another thing we should note. And your thoughts on it, Jason? Go. We're going to open this up as a discussion. Okay, so I have it. I broke down my notes into segments. So like, e.g. cinematography, storytelling, casting, whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'll just kind of start at the top. I'm um, freeform. Yeah, with cinematography. So it was in black and white, and it is breathtaking. I think the the contrast, the inherent contrast of the forest really lends itself to black and white and I feel like not a lot is lost because of the natural green color scheme of the rainforest yeah. there's not as much need for color the The rainforest is already pretty much all one color mm-hmm. and I put down here that I thought the black and white was a uh, genius idea and it seemed very purposeful and I don't think it was just made as a stylistic choice it it really, it seems strange at first, and it provides a little bit of a barrier to entry to the movie. You have to, in the opening scenes, you have to concentrate and uh, and put yourself into the world. And because of that, you become all the more immersed. Mm-hmm. I found it incredible um, how breathtaking and how gorgeous the scenery was, yet... It wasn't this kind of postcard beauty. It was this very ground level, maybe gritty is not the right term, but just this realistic really not, perspective. Yeah. Um, more like walking through a forest as opposed to seeing some beautiful, like, airbrushed picture some photographer took of the forest. It It is a very real looking mm-hmm. movie, and it's a very real feeling movie. And that was that's a very notable and remarkable thing because one of the most notable and remarkable things about the movie is all of the actors playing the natives are natives themselves so they they really i think lend they they this movie rides on their backs the two actors who play the main character karma karte karma kate karma kate 30 years apart him as a young man and an old man um i can't believe how good they are and i can't believe the um, effortless nuances each of them brings to the role. The mm-hmm. younger Karamakarte is very kind of Karamakate. Like, 
What? Just let me have it, okay? Or get the disc gun and shoot me. I don't care. Anyway. Sorry, I was just drinking tea. The younger Karamakate is very... I said it again. Wow. Karamakate is very arrogant, um, although he is wise. And it's not often that you find a character in any media who is arrogant and wise without being massively inclined toward one or the other. I think he's smart in his younger self. I don't think he's as wise. Um, He's more like carried away on whims and stuff than he is later on. Later on, he's like this more centralized, like solid character. But here he like kind of has like mood swings and sometimes he's a buddy and sometimes he's, you know, not. Well, the the one review that I read about the movie said uh, that... Antonio Bolivar's performance as the older version of Karamakate. He is more broken and he's more depressed because he's forgotten everything about his his people. That's and, possible. and you remember yeah. that and he well he says that. Yeah, like, that's right. But I that wasn't the impression that I received from Antonio's performance. My impression was he has this kind of quiet wisdom and and a weariness for sure but a warmth to him that mm-hmm. the younger version of Karmakate is definitely lacking. He's less closed up for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I the uh the performances all around the two white explorers uh I cannot remember the names of the actors at the moment, but the internet knows so essentially the premise um I know you said like two narratives set apart they are very loosely based on journals of explorers from that time, so you could say based on true events, but not really. The character Karmakate exists to tie together these true or these two slightly factual stories into kind of one cohesive tale. And done very nicely. Yeah, it never it seems realistic and reasonable without ever seeming forced, you know, like they never went too much in the direction of like crazy drama unbelievable stuff but yet it doesn't feel like a documentary it's clearly mostly made up it reminds me a lot of although this is a weird parallel to draw but the arthurian legends Mm -hmm. just because there's just that dreamlike kind of quality yes please but uh, still a very and i hate this term because it's so abused now a groundedness Mm. to the setting characters and the events that take oh, place. <laughs> Thanks. Jason's just poured me um, so little tea into my cup because he has chuzzled it all already that it is actually evaporated as I raised it to my mouth. Today we're drinking uh, Jamecha Japanese grown green tea. Um, it's delightful. With toasted rice yeah. in it. Well, that is the not nature. on the side. That is the nature yes, of the tea. But people don't know that it's when you say Jamecha. It's great with seafood. Anyway. What was I saying? I've completely... Oh, the, uh, t- the two white actors, by the way. Brion, I might be pronouncing that wrong. It's B-R-I-O-N-N-E. Brion Davis and Jan... Oh, how would you say that? B- if, if I pronounced Bivoy? it... If I Bivoy? pronounced it like my mother would, it would be... Bidgevoet. Bidgevoet. <laughs> Uh, B-I-J-V-O-E-T they're both B-V-O-E. they're both great um, Jan who is the the um, 
explorer who visits first is he's got this manic energy to him and and he's uh he's ill he's dying and needs the plant to heal him and uh he's got this kind of like urgent energy to him that and again, these performances are so understated in this in this movie nothing is ever caricatured or harped upon or blown out of proportion these these characters these people feel real in the roles that they're playing and i know that uh what's his name nilbio torres who plays the younger karmakate said that for him it was hard to get into the role but once he got into it he he became a method actor as a result of being cast in this his first ever <laughs> role in a movie um and that he would become immersed in the role and he would go home to his kids and his wife and he would have to almost uh almost force himself out of the role because he was so immersed in it and that really that really shows uh Jason I'm sure you have written down there that these uh these people like Neil Bio Torres and I'm sure Antonio Bolivar who played the two versions of Carmacarte Carmacate Carmacate have uh, had never even been to the movies to see a movie they had never been on a plane until they were flown for acting lessons they were indigenous peoples they were they were um, exactly what they're portraying and uh Nilbio Torres the younger version I I guess I probably don't have to keep reminding people that but anyway Nilbio Torres uh he works I guess still on like a plantation uh picking I think banana and yucca plants or something yeah. and uh yeah just it it's it seems like such a gamble that the director must have yeah must have played to to just fly a plane down there and go okay everybody you know line up casting call in the in the jungle but as we've di- discussed excuse me as we've discussed like numerous times i feel like the storytelling nature of film is much more incorporated into an indigenous population like this like they're they're history their culture is is storytelling and Mm uh and that really shows um i'd just like to give a massive shout out to the direction and the cinematography of the movie it's gorgeous and and visceral and you really do feel you can feel like the bugs landing on your skin Mm -hmm. in the in the forest you can feel the leaves brushing up against you and you can feel the the power of the rivers that they're they're always canoeing on rivers and there's one scene in particular where i was just like man like the way that the uh native characters handle the canoes you ca- could not teach somebody how to do that they said that nilbio torres canoes to work every morning every every, every day he canoes <laughs> and it shows like th- these people just the naturalness of their movements really lends itself to these characters that they're playing and it's oh hey everybody jason's uh putting in his retainer now and the retainer is in anyway or on it's in your mouth but it's on your teeth yeah it's in that's out (laughs) okay please continue (laughs) okay anyway all in all i think this was 
This is one of your favorite films of all time, you said? Yeah, I put on here, um, it's an incredible, beautiful, um, really thought-provoking story. It's incredibly, incredibly unique. I couldn't even categorize it, yet that never feels like forced or out there. It's just like... It does. It does feel like the perfect cinematization, which is not a... The perfect film version of, like, a legend. Yeah. Or, like, nothing is blown out of proportion. Nothing is overdone. But it has this quiet power to it. It has scenes that are charming, scenes that are um, oppressive, scenes that are, like, really unsettling, that all (laughs) come together to really form this um, well-rounded story um, that's far more colorful than, like, a black-and-white film would suggest. And I think... I really don't, I really, you can't overstate how beautiful this movie is. Yeah. I'm a would-be photographer, and I really appreciate nice cinematography, and I've almost never seen a more beautiful movie. And also, I would say, the the Amazon rainforest is almost like a character in the movie, yeah. uh, which a lot of the people have said, but it's just occurred to me, if, okay, so this movie, the budget of it, $1.4 million. Any guesses as to what the budget, just for perspective, of Transformers 5 was? And, ladies and gentlemen, let's just be clear. Transformer 5 is Garbage. absolute crap. I don't know. If you think differently, you're wrong and stupid, and you should leave. Would it be as much as, like, 30, 40 million? I don't know. No, it would not be that much, Jason. It was much more? $260 million. I really got to educate that, myself on that. For that mountain of steaming trash... Whereas the 1.4 million, which is almost nothing, like 1.4 million, that is ridiculous for this movie. The constrictions, wow. Like, the, ah, if they had had access to a budget, not even 206 mil, but like a normal quote-unquote budget, whatever that would be, a more reasonable budget, they they would have probably... uh, (laughs) Jason, why why you gotta be doing that? He's trying to weird me out while I'm... You have a hive on your face that's developing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, congratulations, you diseased rodent. From licking too many things. Yeah, he's licking the lid of the teapot. Put that down. I'm trying to have a moment here. I'll keep going. Um, The fact that they would have... there's, I mean, there's no way that they shot any of the jungle scenes outside of the actual jungle. Whereas, you know, in, say, Lord of the Rings, oh, this mountain range here was lifted from Tibet, and this mountain range here was lifted from Norway, and and all these things that, you know, it doesn't... When you're watching Lord of the Rings, you don't go, oh, well, that's the Scottish Highlands, and that doesn't blend very well with this. But when you watch Embrace of the Serpent, the... It almost has a city feel... Like, it it all feels like one location and i know that's a stupid yeah. thing to say cuz it is but it's coherent it it's so coherent you say coherent i say coherent and with yeah. that we should move on soon yeah. um for standout scenes i would say there's a monastery that they come to in both timelines cuz the kind of the idea is they're traveling roughly the same path in both storylines uh and uh, they visit this monastery with these children, and they, there's a bit of an episode, and they quickly quit the the premises, and then they revisit it thirty some years later, and whoo, like it's very interesting. Just I go. Don't know, I don't know about you, but I broke out in like a sweat. Yeah, for like, sure. It, it was 
so disturbing. And you and I were watching it with like headphones on, and our parents were asleep, and uh, it was dark, and we just had you know this our headphones cranked. None of us really said anything. We had like we took a break halfway through and made a snack or something, but and that that was like a perfect way to watch it. So yeah. I'd recommend people people just set aside like an afternoon or probably preferably an evening and just devote yourself to this movie and and uh, dive into it. Yes, Jason, I know. Jason keeps being like, the time, the time. Jason, we're, it's going to be okay. People are going to listen to this no matter what we do. Yeah, okay. we're famous and sweet. Right. Uh-huh. Okay, discussion number two. Oh, so our, anyway, our final ruling on Embrace of the Serpent. Yes, it's really good, and you should watch it because we loved it. One of my favorite movies. Um, And yeah, I just... There's nothing about it I didn't like. Yeah, no, nothing at all. And I, like I said, the the performances are like ridiculously good. You might even say it was the perfect length. Was that? I feel like that was a reference from the episode that we're deleting. Yeah, I know. I know. You just just made a callback to to nothing, literally. No, I know. But that doesn't matter. Wow. Okay. Anyway, on to the next topic Skeleton Tree by Nick Cave. Yes, we covered this in the top albums, but I really, really felt strongly that it was a album that we should revisit and kind of have a more fleshed out discussion about. So, we haven't really talked about this album together at all, and uh, you have just given it your first kind of in-depth listens today and yesterday. So, just tell me what your thoughts are. It's one of the most emotional things I've heard in a long time. Um, what is more emotional than it? Like literally, can pos- you think of stop stop cupping the Christmas it's warm. tree, man? No, possibly Black Star. Yeah, um, I, I was actually thinking just to interrupt you again and be a, a dill hole. <laughs> um, I was thinking like if Black Star hadn't been linked to Bowie's death, if Bowie was still alive. And Black Star wasn't about him dying, and he didn't die, and it wasn't this ridiculously big statement. I think Skeleton Tree might su- might have surpassed it for my favorite albums. But anyway, let me run through my notes. Yes, please. Do. Um, so I segmented this like I did with the movie notes. So production, I think it was an excellent mix and master that really fit with the mood of the album. It sounded oppressive, yet it never sounded you know muddy. They still maintain clarity enough to separate all the different layers you think it sounded oppressive yeah i think there was in, a in heavy, what songs i think in almost all of them except for maybe skeleton tree and distant sky there was just a heavy atmosphere the way they brought out nick cave's voice and then kind of just suppressed the rest of the instrumentation just a little bit so that his voice stood out it was just a bleak mix i thought but in a great way it was perfect yeah the one thing that really stands out to me about it is how disconnected his voice is mm-hmm. from the music in a lot of the songs and then uh skeleton tree the final track is like a typical song there for, are a couple for, that are yeah but for most of the album it's like ambient um droning kind of sounds and then different instruments like a piano might be playing a couple chords coming in and out though yeah. So the piano might only come in for I think um uh Anthracene is the song 
where it the piano just kind of fades in and out and there's yeah. like I think there might be some percussion but it's just like brushes Minimal on, on the snare drum and there's no real rhythm it's just like at like a certain part of the song and I I was blown away that they made that work for an entire album and it never feels samey it never yeah. feels like oh like it just droning on and on uh, with the exception of maybe the first track. I was going to say, I think it did... Sometimes it was absolutely too much for me, but we'll get onto that later. Mm-hmm. I think that the ambient sounds really served to accentuate his voice and offered both uh, stark contrast and like assistance to his tone. Um, the musical composition I wrote down here I thought was competent without being distracting, which is what I want. Um, like a Leonard Cohen album, say... The instrumentation really served to underline his storytelling. Mm-hmm. It was certainly interesting, certainly good, but I don't think I would ever listen to an album for the music. I listened to it for the story, and as the background, kind of the scenery, if you will, it did a spectacular job. Um, I think that Nick Cave treads near beat poetry, yet oh, yeah. I think the thing that keeps him being a singer or a vocalist is the fact, and I'll talk about this a bit later as well, I think the tone of his voice is so important as opposed to, I'm fairly ignorant of a lot of beat poets, but when you do listen to, like, I don't know, Allen Ginsberg, the tone of his voice, he's like monotone, he's just reading you something, but Nick Cave's delivery is absolutely a huge factor. And in... it does, like, even Leonard Cohen is more monotone in a, in a well, oh, yeah, well, maybe it's so. just I, I don't think know, so. maybe I think it might just be Leonard's voice though, because Leonard's voice is literally a seismic event or was. Rest in peace. That's sad. Mm. We just brought the show down even further. Mm. Um, but his voice was just like seismic rumbles, right? But Nick Cave's got like a very quote unquote normal voice, and uh, he here's an interesting thing though. For most of this album, he's like sing talking, but the dude's Australian. There's yeah, no accent anywhere. And he's got like a real... I almost Party tried accent. to imitate him there. Yeah, don't do it. But uh, I would just end up sounding like an idiot. And uh, I would say... Just to... Just this. <laughs> <laughs> I would say just to That's... carry on with Leonard Cohen's <laughs> with our little train of thought. Even if you listen to Songs of Sorrow, which I believe was his 1976 album, that was way before his voice was a, like a seismic event. Yeah. And even then, when his voice sounded normal, he was fairly monotone. But Nick Cave, his voice... Um, There's so much emotion it in breaks, it. breaks. Um, it even... Contorts might sound like a strange word, but I think it does. Like, you hear him twist around. An and... interesting, an interesting uh, anecdote about that is I learned while I was reading about the album that he improvised. Like, not a ton of lyrics but he improvised like quite a bit yeah like throughout the entire album and i thought man that's interesting and like a daring though and the rest of the album's already so daring and bold and desolate that to go okay you know i'm going to come in with maybe a few jumbled ideas written down and then right. just riff off them for a song that's crazy and also a lot of the um final uh, performances that are on the album are live mm-hmm. and you see these beautiful black and white really well shot mm-hmm. videos and Nick's normally they're, they're, he, he's never isolated alone in a room 
he's normally got the bad seeds as band who are just geniuses my word oh uh, they're all like sitting in a circle around him and he's seated at this grand piano singing uh, sitting at this grand piano with you know a notebook sitting in front of him or like in his hand or something and I feel like that's that um, arrangement and atmosphere was like very important like it it really captures a moment and uh, and I'm sure that it helped Nick to be able to sit in the middle of that circle and, and sing mm-hmm. rather than just being be singing to the same performance over and over again trying right. to get the perfect take I also think his writing um, is provocative and yet it avoids seeming like self-indulgent or high-minded it's very simple and very crisp and clear and and it's you think so? Yeah, and I think because I think his writing is very eclectic and strange, but it definitely never se- seems pretentious or like yeah. That's what I mean, it doesn't seem high minded or yeah. self indulgent. It yeah. never seems like he's like, oh, look what I can do. It's more like I'm a genius yeah. and this is how I write. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I'm gonna move this teapot and tray yeah, off the table because you cannot stop fondling it, and it's really irritating mm. me. And I also oh. think it's like how they say that humans communicate primarily not through words but through body language yep in a similar vein i think that a lot of the story as i said again comes through in his delivery as opposed to his writing i think if you were to just read the lyrics you'd be like wow this is some good writing but the impact doesn't even come close to come through and and the context doesn't even come through until you hear him um yeah he really brings the lyrics to yeah, life. yeah for sure although that that isn't normally the case like like I know I've said to you a couple times with uh, Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant has such a powerful, passionate voice that, you know, you want to part... Oh, holy vey. I just... Okay. Everybody, just one second, please. Can I have the English, please? That when you listen to Babe, I'm Gonna Lose You, and Robert Plant goes, Where do I go? Walking through the park every day. Is that, babe, I'm going to leave you? Yeah, what did I say? Babe, I'm going to lose you. Well, we have no proof of that yet until we go back to listen to this. Anyway, but, and he sings that and you think, man, that's poetic and beautiful. And then I I literally did this once. I went to post (laughs) lyrics from a Led Zeppelin (laughs) song on Facebook. So I was like, I was listening to the song. I was like, man, that's gorgeous. And I looked down and like read them. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever written. These are some of the worst lyrics ever put to song. But The Lemon know, Song, the, though, is no, a great... Vague. Oh, man. It's a beautiful song. We will not be quoting that here or on any affiliated pages. But yeah, so the, the power of Nick Cave's voice definitely uh, has brought or brings uh, these songs very much to life. My standout tracks... Did you write down your standout tracks? I did. Okay. Well, I want to hear yours first. And then I do want to say my closing thoughts before. Fine. Because I was very positive and I did really like it. And yet I have written here. I think this is an interesting story. I'll digest for quite a while. But it's honestly not an album I see myself listening to a lot in like a year. I feel like I'll digest it. And then the story's, you know, gone. I've heard it. and, And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of replay value in the album to me so to you it's more of like a topic yeah which is fine that's not a bad thing but i see myself listening to it 
for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And then, yeah, it's more of like a movie experience. I'm stupid, please ignore me. And my <laughs> Too bad I'm in this room alone. Yeah. Okay, and my Where's that voice track? coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your standout track. Grant, I'm going to Where shut off now. Yeah, okay, I'll, now I really will ignore you. <laughs> standout tracks, go! I need you, Distant Sky, and Skeleton Tree. And that. something I find interesting about that. No, the, I find something interesting about that, Buster Brown. <laughs> now, I think the album actually got consistently better as I went through it. And as such, these are three tracks in sequence, like back to back to back. Yeah. And like, what a triple whammy. That's super interesting to me because when I was first getting into this album, like after we recorded the uh, our top our top album episode, when I was first getting into it, and I was playing the songs while doing dishes or something, and turning you be like, "Isn't this great? Isn't this great?" And I remember playing "I Need You" for you. Which is easily the most expressive and explicit and heart-shredding song on the album. You were like, eh. It's like, he's not They're singing, not good he's not songs singing to in tune. Dishes too. He's, he's not singing in tune. I yeah, but, to... still, but still, hold on. Hold on. I just find it really cool and interesting that in that setting, you couldn't connect with it. Because see, when I listened to the album for the first time, it was all the songs back-to-back. I was sitting in here by myself. Uh, writing up notes and completely unexpected. I was just blindsided by it and completely overwhelmed, right? Um, and then, of course, I I could kind of relive those those Ooh. thoughts and emotions while I was doing dishes. But it's I think it speaks to the album's potency that you can't connect to it whenever you want to. I find that fascinating. It's very rich. I think it's probably similar to Embrace of the Serpent. Yep. You have to watch it first or you have to listen to the album first and be very focused and committed and zoned in. But afterwards, I feel like when I go back to listen to Skeleton Tree or watch Embrace of the Serpent, I could probably watch it on like a sunny afternoon when people are talking because I've already made that connection. So I know what to look for and what I'm going to feel. For sure. Yeah. They're both, they're both the album and the movie are things that you should be very intentional about experiencing and wait for, for the right time. You know, I think we, we had the Embrace of the Serpent Blu-ray for weeks, weeks and weeks before we were like, okay, tonight's the night we can yeah. do this. We weren't too tired, um, and we were in the right frame of mind. And I think that's an important thing to take into consideration. And I think the two pieces of media are interesting foils for each other because yep. I think they're both very much so like tone pieces. Like mm-hmm. they're both about atmosphere and emotion and attitude. Um, and yeah, I think they're both very good. I'm not obviously rating them, but yeah. I would say I enjoyed Embrace of the Serpent much more than Skeleton Tree. Skeleton Tree, I thought, was a great album, but not. it's not one of my favorite albums of all time or anything. Embrace of the Serpent, I think, is absolutely one of my favorite movies. And I want to, going back to Skeleton Tree now, um, my, my notes on it, my top three songs are Rings of Saturn, which I think is, like, just gorgeous. Sequel like, to Drops of Jupiter. Man alive. The Drops of Jupiter is Drops of Poopiter next to Rings of Saturn by Nick Cave. It is... It's so beautiful, and it's one of the most typical songs on the album, quote-unquote. There's, like, a drum beat Formula. That, that he follows, but, man, is it just beautiful, and it's... I, the more I listen to the album... I got a sneeze coming up. Hold on. I think it might becoming nope now it's going away that's anyway Whew, that thanks was, for that that was terrible <laughs> no sweat 
This episode is brought to you by fake random, sneezes, random sneezes, and fake allergies. Uh, but the whole album—that's what I was talking about. The whole album has, the more I listen to it, a lot of love in it and like joy mm-hmm. in weird, in strange places. And I think that all, this also speaks to the richness of it because the album's about Nick Cave losing his son. The easy thing to do would have been to just. Oh, and just the whole album is just black and just depressing and heavy and uh, and it would be suffocating and like a a labor to listen to. But there are flashes of of joy and love and remembrance that keep surfacing throughout the album, and it, it makes it it makes the low points all the more heart wrenching when you've got the foil of you know this joy and love to to counterbalance the ache and the sadness yeah uh, oh man. big yawn <laughs> I would say it is dark but it's never hopeless um, and it does remind me a lot of a grieving process and it's you get the impression that it's something that one would move past and you're kind of just yeah, passing Nick, through Nick Cave or er, no sorry Esquire observed how the this is from the uh, wikipedia.org Wikipedia uh, slash, forward slash wiki forward slash skeleton underscore tree a cool website you guys should check out yeah wikipedia dot org <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite website <laughs> I'm gonna say something and then we have to redact it so we're gonna make a make a timestamp here because it's quite filthy so at the 40 40 minute you're gonna redact that no okay I was going to say, brilliant play on words, Grant, but this is a family show. I was going to say, it's just an orange. It's pretty harmless. Anyway, um, (laughs) Esquire observed how the album's lyrics are, quote, less explicitly about Arthur Cave's death and more about the ripple effect that that sort of catastrophe has on Nick and his family and the way everyone else finds their way back. And that, I think, is a great... um, a great description of the album clearly written by somebody who's paid to write stuff like that uh, but and then in in closing I, I this album almost feels wrong to talk about it do you, do you get that sense too like it almost feels weird to it feel like it's not something that should be judged objectified or or bandied about or even in some senses laughed over like it is it's insane. Oh, and my other two, my other two uh, favorite songs, Magneto, and my my three songs. What were your three favorites? Uh, I need you. I need you. Distant sky and skeleton tree. Wild, because I've got skeleton tree on there too, because it's amazing. And it it, is. don't you think it's a great ender track? Yeah, and because distant it, sky is so good too. He has that female vocalist. Don't yeah. know her name. Yeah, superb. Um, but. Skeleton Tree, I thought, because I listened to it while I was doing up my notes before we started recording, um, is like the perfect way to end that album. Yeah. Because it, it really brings everything together. Everything kind of snaps to, and uh, it's put into perspective. It's got the driving acoustic guitar and all that. And Magneto, which is probably the most disconnected of all the songs. There's like this intermittent uh, weird bass swell that like kind of coils underneath the music uh every once in a while and uh the chorus of that song do you know the chorus of that song 
that's not, the one where he says it yeah, yeah. and one more time with feeling yeah. it like as i was doing my notes looking through just to you know because what i do when we do this is i just hop through all the yeah. tracks and and the ones that jump out at me i'm like yes these are my favorite and i had to listen to the whole song and i actually teared up like while oh, i was yeah. making my notes because oh that song is just so potent and the whole album is potent and it's unbelievably good and Amazon, get your crud together, people, and send me my CD. Because I ordered it on Christmas Day, thanks to my brother. Actually, I kind of, I'm paying for that one, but... Yeah, you I are. ordered it on Christmas Day, and you still haven't gotten it in stock? Are you serious? Everybody, it's January... It could be in high demand. I don't care. What? It's mine, and I want it. Okay! Are we going to do a random topic and or hypothetical hut? The hy- what is it called? Should we enter the hypothetical hut? So we've decided we should do some kind of fun things on the show as well. Um, and Jason's become known around our household for his really offbeat and uh, <laughs> absolutely stupid uh, and non-sequitur hypothetical questions. They blossom into thinking man discussions, though. Yeah, but he likes to spring them on our parents because our parents have no idea how to cope with hypotheticals. And uh, they're walking over us right as we speak. Can you imagine if we were recording one of these episodes and then mom just crashed <laughs> down through the floor? I'd be like, hey, mom. Or through the ceiling, I guess, for, for us. $300, would you never use a semicolon yeah, that, again? that was the best one. <laughs> mom, for $300, would you never use a semicolon ever again? And I think that's a great and, question. But the best part is the reaction that they get because they just lose their minds. Like, ah, they're like, oh, they have no idea how to cope. I fail as a parent. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then they blame each other for our condition. Yeah. And why we record talk shows that nobody listens to in their basement. Just kidding. I love you, Connor. I think Connor's the only one listening now. I don't know. No, we'll Liam, see. Liam will be listening too. Liam and Connor. Thanks, Liam and Connor. Maybe even Ryan. You never know. Um, okay. So so basically the hypothetical hut was going to be, it, it's a hut, uh, but it's not real. Like it's just an illustration. You mm-hmm. know, it's... it's uh, well, it's hypothetical um, that uh, we will enter at some point in the show, and then Jason will fabricate from thin air, from his, from uh, the, from the pit of his loins, will right. pull forth a warm hypothetical <laughs> question for the children and soft. Oh, gross. Okay, fill time for just a minute while I think. Okay, please. Uh, I'm don't sure. like sit down first, I'm please. Coming back. Thank I you. just found our because we made a sheet with a whole bunch of like uh. there is there is actually a trillion. Jason's actually his head is turning 360 degrees, and he's going into convulsions as he enters the hypothetical hut in his mind. Who knows, people? This might not work as a segment at all. Jason might just come up bone dry time and time again as as his mouth gets dry and. And the stage fright uh, stiffens his limbs. Maybe this was a bad idea. Do a sponsorship bit while you wait. I can't. I'm not going to do a sponsorship. I use the other mic for that. Oh, you've put pencil shavings all over the table. Jason, that's going to go on the carpet. I've got a sheet in my hand that's full of topic ideas that we did when we were coming up with the idea for the show like a year ago uh, and we thought it's going to be sweet and we're going to play pool and now we've stopped playing pool and we suck so that's not what we're doing right now 
how surprised would you, the listener, be if it turned out that Jason and I were playing pool during this? Because I can assure you that we're not, although I need to pee pretty bad. Hmm. Uh, Jason's still in the hypothetical hut. I have a few floating in my mind. I'm just not how sure. How just very... pick one, man? We're at 47 minutes. They're not very good, though. I know you're fine. you're the one who always gets antsy about the time, and now I'm antsy fine. about the time. I'm sorry. This is not. This also is <laughs> kind of in poor taste. <laughs> We're gonna have to okay. redact the whole of hypothetical hut now. Okay, I'm gonna say it, and we'll redact it. We need to. I don't think we will. It's not that. Bad. Yeah, who's it's listening? Just, to this it's show? just a bit of animal cruelty. <laughs> oh, that's fine. We don't have vegans but it's a listening. Puppy. If you're a vegan, you're in the wrong place. Uh. You are so lost. Would you go on a one? <laughs> Jeez. Would you go on a one-week paid vacation to a four-star resort in Mexico if every morning somebody kicked a puppy in the head? Like just somebody? No. So like, there's there like, be, I um, need I need more. So there's a dog kennel that's uh, just up the road from us. So there's like a golden retriever puppy there, say, um, and every morning the owner of the kennel's gonna kick that puppy in the head how hard are these kicks pretty hard <laughs> it's a good hoof it's gonna be airborne like it would be like a squelch sound and then like yeah, yeah. man uh and I, I get a one week free stay, vacation but yeah. every day that i yeah. don't i don't know if i could do i that. couldn't do it i don't know about that because it's just a little doge man i know yeah what i wouldn't want to stop bumping the table i would not go on the vacation yeah i don't think i would either I would instead. Maybe I would take the puppy, though. Well, I'm glad we answered that. <laughs> uh, see, that was not. A Thanks for joining us in hypothetical hut. Yeah. Well, no, that's the, kind of the purpose of it. Now, hey, do we have? Are we gonna make the show an hour plus and do a random topic? Well, we can do. We can do a ten minute topic. How are we gonna pick one? Uh, pick the. I'm gonna go like this. from the bottom. Wait, what? Pick the fourth one from the bottom in the other column. One, two, three, four. Oh, no, it's just Brother Tales. Okay, no, we're not going to do that. Well, we did go uh, shopping for diapers recently. Oh, well, that's true. We could tell the people no, about that. No, let's do the Kijiji one. I like that. Kijiji? Yeah, so just like a few Kijiji stories. Um, I don't really have any good Kijiji well, stories, though. you know, I once had a phase, as we all do, where I really liked uh, Dragon Ball Z trading cards. Well, maybe they're just oh dragging off. Oh my neck! I totally this? forgot about this. Um, and they're this out is a of, great they're topic. They're out of print, and I just had a few. And it was like a totally failed game. Like, I don't think they printed dra- Dragon Ball Z trading cards. <laughs> it's I still game. can't believe that. Do we still have those? Yeah, I do. Holy moly! I'm having an epiphany here. But continue your story. But I wanted more because I didn't have all the evolution. You know, I didn't have a great deck. Now, did I have anyone to play against? No. <laughs> that didn't even matter. <laughs> I don't know. How old were you, do you think? Uh, 10, 11. Okay. Somewhere around there. So that's excusable. Yeah, oh, so no. I went on Kijiji, and as fate would have it, there's a whole deck for like 5 or 10 bucks. And I was like, well, that's sick. Which, which begs the question, who in their right mind is listing a collection of Dragon Ball Z trading cards on Kijiji? I would say no one in their right mind did, as we will see. Um, so I set up the whole meet. The person was very nice. 
They respond to all their emails on time and stuff. Went to the apartment building where they lived with my mother, because I was, like, probably 11 at the time. Um, it, it could not get in the door. We buzzed the number, and it was a person who was ethnic, which in of itself doesn't matter, but they were very difficult to understand. And they had no idea what we were talking about when we said we showed up to buy, like, some trading cards. <laughs> and then we buzzed them, and they were like, no, we don't know. Um... And then someone, like, who was passing through, like, let us into the lobby, but we were like, well, I don't know what we should do. This is so much trouble to go, like, already, and this it was is a lot such of trouble a shady, to go through. Like, it was for... a really ghetto apartment building. <laughs> well, it's and Dragon Ball. I was, like, deeply uncomfortable. Uh... And so we were like, what do we do? Do we go up there and, and knock? And I believe we went up and knocked and got no answer, if I'm remembering correctly. And then we left. But, wait, how did you get them then? I didn't. You didn't? The cards I have, I got from Zach Lazar. Oh. I wanted to get more cards because I didn't have all the evolutions of, like, Piccolo or whatever. I totally forgot this story. So, that was kind of whack out. Did you ever email the person again and be like, yo, what the frick? I don't know. I was a milk toast. That's true. You still still are. Um, I'm a milk and honey. Ladies, I'm the promised land. That sounded... So I also had that's to sell a bike me, on. That's not going to get me a wife, Jason. No, that's true. What was I thinking? This was just. This is just a quick story. You remember I had to sell that mountain bike, and I had so many people interested in it, and I played all sides of the field. Got this one lady. She was a real estate agent. Got her real mad at me because I kind of ditched out on her because someone gave me more money. But that's heck that. Yeah. Do you, that's does does she not understand how offers work? Yeah. Being in real estate, the person was willing to come out to our house, and we live way out in the country. Um, but the catch was none of us were going to be at home. So I said to them, I will just leave the bike on my driveway. You can like ride it around and stuff and make sure you like it and just leave the money in my mailbox. And they did. And you know, some have, people have are, faith in some humanity. Some people are great. You know, they could yeah. have stole my bike. They didn't. Yeah. Left and, money. They and, wrote a smiley face and, on the envelope. And we could have wasted your time today, folks. And we did. Ha, <laughs> got him. You kind of wasted your time though. What are you? Yeah. 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 Call your mother and tell her you're sorry. Mom? I'm sorry. There's more than two sides to a puppet. No.